We have a few announcements and, and, and a few health updates before we get started tonight, but if you want to go ahead and mark in your song books, the song of invitation this evening will be number 401. That's 401. Um, and if you're joining us online tonight, we want to encourage you to go ahead and, and log in on the uh, Watch Live page and register your attendance with us. We, we want to make sure we have a record of your attendance as well. And with that, we have a couple of announcements. Don't forget our, uh, to donate items for our Go and Do Backpack program. We are collecting those at this time. There's a link to sign up for that um, on, uh, uh, on our website, and you can access that via the posters here in the lobby. There's a QR code or in the bulletin. And be sure to sign up to contribute to that. There's a table out there in the foyer across from the big map in the hallway. Uh, right where we're taking, that's where we're taking the donations, and we'll be assembling and sorting those donations on July 18th. So please be, be sure to go ahead and, and contribute to that. Um, also, uh, let's see here, we have several prayer requests uh, that we want to mention and uh, uh, update you on. Of course, sympathy is extended to the family of Jean Henderson. Uh, she passed away Monday afternoon, uh, June the 21st, and the family will have a private memorial uh, donations can be made to Right Steps in, uh, in her memory, uh, so please be mindful of, of her family at this time. Also, Skip Jackson is home from the hospital after having heart rate and blood pressure problems. He is on medication to try and remedy that, and he's being monitored, so we're grateful he has returned home, but continue to keep skipping your prayers. Tom Martin is in the hospital after experiencing blood pressure problems, and he's going through some testing to try to determine uh, the right treatment. And Anthony Hill was taken to the ER yesterday after becoming very ill at work. Uh, because of some elevated cardiac enzymes, they thought he might have had a heart attack, but after more testing, it was determined that he did not have a heart attack. But they are keeping him and continuing to do some tests. Also, Gene Hogan is still in the hospital after suffering a mild stroke, along with some blood pressure issues, and she may have to transfer to a rehab facility. Those are the uh, health updates that we have, and please continue to remember them in your prayers. Tonight we are blessed um, because Jake Sutton is here uh, to address us, to lead us in tonight's study. Jake is the preacher at the Piedmont Road congregation, where I think he's been since 2019, so he must have brought the pandemic with him. Um, but Jake's been at the Piedmont congregation since 2019. Prior to that, he was at the Moultrie, Georgia Church of Christ, um, and he's been preaching uh, since 2012, I believe, in full-time preaching mode, at least. He was educated at Faulkner University, where he received a bachelor's degree, and he went on to uh, continue studying at the Memphis School of Preaching. And what I, what I find most fascinating about Jake is that in addition to his preaching duties, he's a children's book author, and, and you may be familiar with his work. He, he authors these Petey and Pals books. He's got a new one coming out probably this summer, sometime, and, and uh, you may be familiar with the illustrator of that book, which is Jeremy Pate. And so, uh, and, and Jake's been here once before to uh, do a presentation with his pal, Petey, for our children, and uh, he's got a great thing going with that. He's also the author and creator of Edify for the Servant podcast, so he's got uh, his hands going in a lot of uh, different directions. So we're blessed to have Jake here tonight. This is his first time joining us and the first time for us to hear Jake and I'm excited to have him present a lesson tonight as we continue our summer series on being fruitful and his topic tonight is the fruit of joy. 
With that introduction, let me lead us in prayer before we turn it over to Jake. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled and honored to stand before your presence this evening. Grateful that we can uh, take uh, this small portion of time out of our week and study your word. We'll be engaging in that study in just a moment, led by Brother Sutton, and it is our prayer, Lord, that you uh, bless his presentation tonight. Bless him with good communication and a good uh, recall of the things that he's prepared and studied. And, and bless us, Lord, as we open our hearts and our minds to uh, hear your word preached through him. Lord, help us to, to uh, be attentive, help us to absorb, help us to apply, help us to live out what we learned this evening. Lord, we've mentioned several tonight who, who are dealing with medical issues. We are mindful of Skip Jackson, Tom Martin, Anthony Hill, Gene Hogan. We pray that all those who are being monitored and observed will uh, continue to improve. We pray that there will be no uh, major issues for any of them. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that they'll be able to go home from their hospitalizations soon. Lord, we're mindful of the Henderson family and the passing of Miss Jean. And, and Lord, we, we, we hurt over the uh, uh, suddenness of, her, of, of this loss. And, and it is our prayer that you uh, be with the family and, and be with us as we, we mourn the loss of a sister. Lord, we, um, we thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you for uh, listening to us. We thank you for being with us. May we never take for granted what you do. May we never take for granted the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. May we, may we never take for granted our responsibility and our opportunities in the kingdom. We love you, Lord, and it's through the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Brother Jake. If you're happy and you know it, shout. It's a VBS song, and I don't know why we sing that at VBS songs or VBS time. The word amen is the only spiritual word in that song, but we sing it anyway. Anyway, not to run on parades or nothing. But how about the other one? I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Heart. It's where it should be. I want to present to you tonight this lesson, but I want to preface it with this statement. The joy in God... It's not optional. Your joy in God and in His church and in His work and in His labor is not optional. How many folks have you heard say, well, I just, uh, I'm, I'm just not feeling it, but I'm going to be there anyway. Or, I was baptized years ago. No, I'm not real happy about my, my situation. I don't have a whole lot of spiritual joy, uh, but, but, but at least I'm there. Is that okay? In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the passage for this summer, fruit of the Spirit, and one of those fruits that's described there is this fruit of joy. Something that we need to know before we get started is this is something that is produced by the Spirit. This isn't something of me. This isn't something of my choice or my volition. The fruit of the Spirit. Now see, I can have earthly joy, sure. I can have personal joy over things that I that I have in life or that I do in life, yes, but we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit of God now, and that is produced only and namely by the Spirit of God. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, that we want God to get glory in all things, that God through all things might be glorified, Peter said. 
So when we think about the joy that comes from the Spirit of God, number one, it's not optional, and it's not produced by us. This isn't something that I just act my way into this, or I just feel my way into this. Either this is produced by God, or it's not produced at all. Because if it's produced by me, I get the glory. But if it's produced by God himself, then he gets the glory. There's a connection between God and joy and working all things together. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 and Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. For my good and his glory. And sometimes that looks like bad things in my life. When, when Paul made that statement, by the Holy Spirit made that statement by Paul, he wasn't making the statement that everything in your life happens for, uh, everything is uh, good that happens in your life, but God causes all things to work together for good. In Ephesians 1.11, he does this according to his good will, purpose, and plan. God is sovereign. God is careful. And the joy that he produces in me, which comes from his holy book, is how the Holy Spirit medium and operates on me. It's not optional, nor is it accident. It's purposeful. It's how he sustains me. Don't you like to smile? Isn't it nice to smile? I've, I've preached for a little while. I've seen some folks, it looks like that they're not too happy to smile. Uh, it's like they swap the... Uh, the grape juice on Sunday morning for persimmon juice, you know. And uh, they've been sucking on a tart for a little while. They're just, they're sour, bitter people. I know Christians like that, don't you? How do you feel when you get around them? I had Curtis Cates at the Memphis School of Preaching. He said, brethren, some folks you just have to wave from across the pond. <laughs> That's how you have to handle those folks. That they have stopped and ceased God working good joy in their life and they're sour and they're bitter. I don't want none of those folks around me. I don't know about y'all. I'm going to pray for them. I love them. But I'm going to be happy. I want to smile. I want God to produce joy in me. Don't you? Amen. Yes, we do. That's why we're here. And that's why we love him. You and I, we have to be very careful. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 11, not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin because we can be hardened and in fact the Hebrews writer tells us very very clear very plainly you encourage one another every day not three times a week every day or you will become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin are you hurting are you sad if you're not tonight you may be tomorrow Barner Research says 80% of the folks who sit in the pew are going through some trial, and it hurts, and it stings. And you know what's the, what's, I, I don't like the devil, and the devil's not good, but he's a good devil. You know what I mean? He knows what he's doing, and he knows where to hit you, and he knows how to make you hurt, doesn't he? And if you've ever lived long in the kingdom of God, you know that he has hurt and hurt and hurt people. You've seen people drift away from God. You've seen people uh, lose their life. You've seen people... Uh, take their own life because of suffering, because of hurt, because of pain. And Satan would use and devise and manipulate what God is allowing in your life to say you're alone. God doesn't love you. He has forsaken you. 
just leave him. Reminds me of Job's wife. You know, at one time she met, she she had to have been a good woman at one point. And, and I don't want to define that woman by that one statement that she made when she was hurting. Because see, she lost her ten babies too. She had to bury the farm too. When she said, "Just curse God and die because we've hurt so much." What good is it to love Him? The opposite of joy is not pain. The opposite of joy, biblically speaking, is despair through suffering. Satan would take and try to hurt, try to manipulate, and cause you to suffer in such a way that you leave the Lord, that you believe a lie rather than the truth of God. I want to ask you this question. Is your joy in God? Do you love Him? Is is He your utmost joy? If you lost every single thing, would you still be happy in Jesus? That's a self-assessment. That's a gut check. With a congregation this size, I don't doubt for one minute that there have been some people who have felt like they have lost every single thing. Some of you, like at Piedmont Road and everywhere else in the world, you have lost, you have lost because you love Jesus. You've had to watch people leave your life because you love Jesus and you refuse to do the ways of wickedness that they want you to do. If you'd just be easy and take it easy with this Jesus stuff, maybe I'd stick around. Some of you feel that pain. Some of you know that pain. And we're here to talk about joy tonight, but we also need to talk about pain because that's real. You and I can endure. You and I, by God's good, good grace, through the joy of the Holy Spirit that's produced by the Holy Spirit, endure. Some of you are hurt. But I'm here tonight to encourage you. You can remain joyous in this time. There are some folks that say it doesn't matter if I really desire or I have joy in God as long as I obey God. Would you find that to be true? Well, I'm doing what I need to do. I'm here. I'm sitting here. I'm listening. I don't desire this. I'm hurting. I'd rather be somewhere else. Brethren, you can make decisions for God. And decisions on behalf of God. And seize in worldliness and be lost. Yes, I'll make decisions. Yes, I'll cut my check. Yes, I'll come sit there three times a week. But don't touch my heart. Because I've got pet sins that I keep right here and I love them and I don't want you to touch them. How are those going to turn out for you on Judgment Day? God gets no glory in that kind of lifestyle. A Christian who makes just simple, do-good choices. God gets no glory in that. He does not want robots. He wants people whose hearts are aflame for Him. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the coming of Rome and taking over 
uh, Jerusalem. And, and he says there in that chapter, he said, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many, for me, will grow cold. And he uses a temperature word. They'll grow cold. How's your heart? Is it cold for Jesus? Or is it with white hot passion in love with him? I know where I want to be. And I know what I want to ask of God if I'm not in that situation. Let's open our Bible since we're here to study it. Quit looking at me. Matthew chapter 13. I love this. How does Jesus describe conversion? Is it a simple choice? Is it just getting dunked, preacher? Matthew chapter 13, just a simple statement. In verse 44, the kingdom of heaven, the church, the body, the reign, the rule of, of God in our life, in every aspect of our life, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, you know if you got the ESV, that's not how that read. But that's how we often read it. If you'll just make a decision for Jesus, you'll be happy. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man finds it. He uncovers it. And what he has found in that field is worth more than anything that he, that he has. Anything that he's ever come in contact with. And it says, in his joy. Don't miss that. Underline it in your mind. In his joy. I have found the secret to life. This is what it's about. Take everything. Take it all. I don't care what I lose in this world. Just give me Jesus. That's what he says. That's what he wants. That's how, if, I, if anybody's going to describe conversion, let it be Jesus. Amen? And what does he say? This is what it looks like. A person in his joy. My daddy used to say growing up, we played ball in our house. Oh, we played ball in our house. For, I mean, it's just a part of life. But my daddy used to say something. He said, son, the best never play. And I thought, what? That don't make no sense. The best never play. The best never play. Meaning there were some boys or girls who, who didn't make it on the field or the court or the diamond or the dirt or, or, or whatever it is. And they didn't, they didn't get to. They didn't have the motivation. And, and it wasn't really revealed in their life. And so probably the best has never even played the game. Do you notice what produced the joy in this man? The treasure in the field. People look at you like you're crazy. If you're radical for Jesus, people look at you like you're crazy because you are. Because you're different. As it was said in the first century church, these are the ones who've come to turn the world upside down. Those are nuts over there. Because we are. We have found everything. I wonder, I wonder how Jesus reacted physically. In Matthew 19, verse 27, when Peter's there with Jesus and, and, and Peter says, Lord, we left everything to follow you. You've left everything. Then what am I? <laughs> I would have loved to have been in, 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 at that situation. And here Peter called what he had everything. And Jesus, meh. We've left every, what's in it for us, Jesus? We've left everything. Peter, you have found everything. 
And let me remind you tonight on this Wednesday evening, even though it's midsummer and we got the whole world going on, everybody's busy and vacations and fun, and all that's great. God has given us this world to enjoy. It's ours to have, especially the saints. But don't forget that your joy is here. Don't forget that God has produced this joy in the treasure that you have found. This is why we do what we do, because this is worth more than anything else. Amen, lights and walls. Brother Bill Davis says all the time. What am I teaching my child that's most joyous? What does my child or my grandchild know to be my favorite thing? Is it my Lord? God is most glorified in me and through me when I am most satisfied in Him. Psalm 1611 is a verse that I have on my wall as I walk into my office at Piedmont Road, my study. Let's all turn there. I want you to put your eyes on it, as I do every day. Brethren, we have to preach these things to ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves of these things. In Psalm 1611, Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. Well, we get that. Sure, the Bible's the way. Jesus, John 14, the way, truth, and life. Yeah, sure, we get that. But in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Where will I be most satisfied in my heart and in my soul? Is it in the world? Is it in my job? Is it in my marriage? Is it with my children, my grandchildren? As grand as they are, you older ones in here, you can sugar them up, then send them back home. How grand is that? In your presence, God, Father, is fullness of joy. Nowhere else. And you notice how people run the rat race and they run the American dream and they run to the end of retirement to hurry up and find happiness because it's only when you retire and get to cash in the 401k. If you were smart, you did the Roth. That way it's taxed beforehand, you know. That way you know what you got. You can count your apples when you get there. Oh, the confusion that we set in our, in our lives and in our family when we teach our children that the most important thing is a good retirement. Jake Sutton better not teach that to his five-year-old little boy, Stone. What I better teach my child is, Stone, the only thing that will ever fully fulfill your life and heart and what you're really looking for is the presence of God. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures some of the time. Well, when I feel good on Sunday morning and I'm happy about church, no. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what I want. And if we're talking about joy tonight, that's what produces joy. We have found something. Peter, you, you've, you've not left everything. You just had little, bit, little bits and pieces of this thing called life. But in our temporal mind, can we not confuse it? Can we not make our life all about what we do? Daddy, do you work too much? When you work too much and you're gone and you pay for this and you have to pay for that, we forget why we went to work in the first place. To provide and to take care and to protect our home as we've been commissioned to do. Do we love our job more than our family? Surely not. 
we have to fight for this joy because Satan will use your possessions and he will use your suffering to remind you every day and especially if you get up out of the bed and your body cricks and aches or you go to feel for somebody and they're no longer there or you have to go I know a brother and a sister they're in their 60s and every day every day he goes to the graveyard and visits his two children that are there who died five, six, seven years apart. And he sits on a bench at these two tombstones and he reads the Bible every day to his children. Both died of overdose. Satan would rob me and you of our joy in God through suffering and pain and trial and pleasure. Because it's not always just, it's not always the bad stuff that gets us. Sometimes we miss the forest because of the trees. Sometimes our, our lives are filled with abundance and we just totally forget the good, great God who gave it to us. And we worship the creation more than the creature or the creator. Romans chapter 1, the first step to apostasy is ungratefulness. Where we become ungrateful to God and we worship the things that He's blessed us with rather than Him. In this Psalm 1611, this reminds me and it should also relieve me. If you look to your spouse to make you truly, fully happy, you're going to be let down because they're not God. And they can't fully, completely, eternally fill you with joy. If you look to it to be your child or your job or your possession as good as those things are. Don't put that burden on people. Nobody can make you feel the way that God should make you feel. Don't put that on nobody. How do we live in that sorrowful time? How does God uphold us? And I'm not here. I'm not here to soften suffering because it's real and it hurts. But I want to sustain the sacrifice that you are in Jesus. So how do we do it? Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Right out the gate, what does Jesus preach? If you're persecuted, if you're hurt and slandered, if you have to suffer for righteousness' sake, what does he say to do? Rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. You and I have to look over, look past, look through, look around, look anywhere else other than the problem. I mean, go back to Peter. He steps out on the water. Only one to do it, by the way. And there's the Lord. He says, Lord, if it's you, call me out. He says, well, come on if you're coming. And he steps out, he steps out onto the water but he takes his eyes off of Jesus, what does he do? What will I do? I'm no better. Don't idolize Peter. Don't make him a god because he's not. Don't deify that man because that's what he was. And you and I are in the same boat. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and off of the, off of the true champion of life who says, I have overcome. In John 17, there's those fellows that he's been with for three years and he's telling them, I'm about to leave you. And how sad that they were and how scared that they were. I would have been too.
to go from uneducated to be introduced to Jesus for three years and then him leave. I would have been afraid too. And he says, take heart. Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's okay. He had to tell them, it's going to be okay. I'm here to tell you. Whatever you're having to endure, especially for Jesus' sake, it's going to be okay. You and I are hurt because of the devil, because of his works, because of the effects, the providential effects of sin into this world. We're hurt. Some of us are walking around maimed. A dear dear friend of mine today, she sent me a picture of a book, and her uncle had wrote this book, and this uncle is writing about him losing his wife. And he said for months, for months at a time, when he went to bed, he never, he never pulled the, the sheets down. He said there was no reason to unwrap the bow because there was no prize. Grief is real. Grief will suck the life out of you. Grief will throw you down. But God will sustain you in joy. I love David, and I love the Psalms. And if you're going through a difficult time, put your nose in the crack of the book and just stay in Psalms for a while. Just stay there. David, a man who knew suffering, a man who who also knew blessing. Psalm 37, 25, he says, I was young and now I I am old. And I have, I have yet to see. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Why not you take a step back and look at your life, especially the bad things that you've had to endure. Maybe for Jesus' sake, maybe just having to endure life itself. Spin around and take a look. Where did you see the good hand of God? The good blessing of the church? The text or the phone call or the email or the personal visit, the unannounced knock at the door a day that you needed encouragement what I need and what I want in my hard times of life is the joy of Jesus and I have it through his promise John 15 11 I've come to give you my joy I want my joy if there's anybody's joy I want and I need whose is it Jesus I've come to give it to you I have it, and you have it. They would not forget. Some people hear these things. Some people come across passages in their Bible, and and they they know that it's right, but they're a thousand miles away from there. Psalm one hundred. Listen to these. Psalm one hundred one and two. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth serving with gladness coming to his presence with singing not just do not just obey not just come to worship because you have to or so and so is going to talk about you or you're not going to be checked in on the roll back there make a joyful noise not just a noise but a joy filled noise Psalm 32 11 be glad in the Lord and rejoice O righteous that's us those Not by self-righteousness, but those of us who have been washed by the blood of Jesus. 
Make a joyful noise. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not talking about when I was about, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years old. I thought, you know, I love the Lord. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to bed. And I had a, uh, you remember those things called bean bags? All right. Those little white fuzzy things were everywhere, weren't they? Especially when you, anyway, in my rough house, we tore them up. But I had a WCW bean bag over in the corner. And I thought, you know what? I love the Lord. Lord, when I wake up in the morning, I want there to be a Sega Genesis in that beanbag over there. Needless to say, it didn't turn out the way that I had planned it, okay? For those of you who don't know what a Sega Genesis is, this is a game console, one of them little devil contraptions, you know. But in that Psalm 37:4, when he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, what he's promising to give you is not the toys that you want in life, but he himself, because your heart delights in him. And he says, I will give you what you delight in, which is me in my presence. I want to know that. I want to have that. I want something that sustains me and holds me up through the drought of life, don't you? Because you've seen what happens when folks, whether they've sat in, because we're not exempt from this, whether they've sat in this room and they're no longer here, so-and-so used to sit there and there and there and there, or it was my child who walked away from the Lord, or it was my parent who walked away from the Lord, you know as well as I do, we're not impervious to this. This can happen to all of us if we're not careful. And we need the good hand of God to instill the joy in us. God gives himself to you if you desire him. You know, you don't have to tell a young fella how to love a, uh, a young gal if he likes her. It's not called love. They say love. I probably said love. But the word is infatuation, isn't it? Puppy love. You don't have to tell him what to do. He's just a naturally affectionate and vice versa with a girl. There's a draw there. If you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. If you're thirsty, what do you do? You drink. Are you hungry and thirsty for the Lord? I was talking with a good friend, Brandon Edwards, a few weeks ago at the Connect Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And he was talking about one particular church that's in a very, very, very rich and wealthy neighborhood. And he said they've got signs all over that little neighborhood. That little uh, protected village is basically what it is. He said the signs say, the rich need God too. But how often do we forget him as long as our Blue Cross Blue Shield plan takes into effect when we need it to? How long do we stop praying as long as we've got the deductible covered? How long are we okay with the joy of the pleasures in life as long as they continue to be pleasures in life? Poor old Paul. Other than Job and Jesus, Paul's probably number three on the list of suffering. I want you to look with me. Because I've not had to endure anything like this before. And what I found Paul doing is, is a whole lot of enduring and not a whole lot of complaining. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. And this is just a short list. Let's go to chapter 6. About the end of verse 2, it says, Behold, which means look. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. I, I would underline that. <laughs> in afflictions, hardships, calamities. I mean, I don't know what a calamity is other than bad luck, we might say. That's just bad luck, Paul. Of course, there's no such thing. Anyway, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, the power. All these things, look at verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. We are sorrowful, yet always, what? Rejoicing. How in the world can you endure all of that? And that's just the short list. Chapter 11 is all the, is all the good stuff. How, how do you endure all of that? And be sorrowful, meaning full of physical sorrow, but we're always rejoicing. Because their rejoicing wasn't in the physical world. They're rejoicing and they're, they're full, full to the cup, overflowing joy that they had, that they knew. What do you do with a person like Paul? You beat him? He's thankful that he got to be beat like Jesus. You put him in jail, what's he going to do? Convert the jailer in the whole jail. You're going to kill him, what's he going to do? That's where he'd rather be. What do you do with somebody like that who's contagious with the joy of Jesus? What do you do with them? Watch them. That kind of person's contagious to be around. Oh, Hogan back there, his granddaddy, is one of my favorite human beings in this world, Demar Elam. I don't know how Demar must be 90-something now, surely. But he's got a head full of black hair, and he's the most zealous individual that I've ever met in my life. I followed him to the Philippines, and I thought, I'm out of breath, and there goes a 70-something-year-old man just on fire for his Lord. And I have no doubt that that man will be on fire until his Lord, with his Lord until his body gives out. That's what it looks like. As I said, my aim is to not soften your suffering because I know it's real. But my aim in this message and this joy that's produced by God is to remind you that you are to be sustained in your sacrifice to God because you're a living sacrifice. Nobody survives a crucifixion. Nobody gets off that cross. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's a living thing. It's always burning. It's always, it's always bleeding out, if you will. We never give out. We never give up. Because even though our sorrow, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, is full, and some of you in this room have got full sorrow, and you came in here tonight with sorrow on your plate, you don't know, there's this, there's this question, there's this. Right now, there's, there's, a, there's a preacher. Right now, and his two-year-old little, his two-year-old little girl is at Vanderbilt. Three o'clock this morning, she began to cry out. They went up and got to her, and she stopped crying. She stopped breathing, and she fell over. And there's no brain activity. That will kill a person to watch their baby die. July of 2019, I got a call from my, one of my best friends. And he said, my son has just called, and he said that little brother has fell in the pool, and there's ambulances. A week and a half later, I preached that baby's funeral. That baby. And he's the same age as my boy. So when I walked into that room there at Vanderbilt, 
And I looked at that child, lifeless, lifeless now. And I looked at those fingers and toes, and you know what I saw? My boy's fingers and toes. There are people hurting in this life. And they're having to endure things that you and I cannot understand, comprehend, or bear. But Jesus will uphold them. I want that. And I need that. Let's make some clarifications as we wind this thing down. The fight for joy, and I say fight because it is a fight. We've got to fight for this. Even though it's something that God would give us, we've got to fight through the mess of life and remind ourselves and preach to ourselves until our, song, our hearts sing these songs. The fight for joy is in God and not just joy in general, not just happy folks. Let Buford be a place that when people come in here, they're thinking, oh, that's a whole bunch of chipper folks, and they don't know what suffering's about. They don't know what real life is about. Let Buford be the place. Let Piedmont Road be the place where if you're hurting, this is where you go. We're the family you bring your family to. We're the hurting that you bring the hurting to. We're the sorrowful that you bring the sorrowful to. Let that be the place. Hedonism, as it's called, it's an old Greek term. It's making happiness the criteria for right and wrong. You know folks like that. If I feel good about it, it's right. If I don't like it, it's wrong. We're not, we're not pushing that agenda. The gospel don't teach that. Our utmost joy needs to be in God. And that is our standard for right and wrong. God, He. Psalm 73 and verse 25 whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire but you. Psalm 16, 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. God is our joy. You see, you can't touch that. Satan can't touch that. He can't, he can't swing and hit God and take God from you. Romans chapter 8 promises me that. It gives me insurance and it gives me assurance that God is for me. All of heaven is for me. You can't touch that. All he can do is like Jericho, just raise up tall walls because he's terrified. Satan don't stand a chance. He's a good devil. But I promise you, the, our Lord... Our God and our Savior is not running around putting out the fires that the devil has to set a flame in our lives. God knows everything that He is going or has done to me and you, to this world. That old devil's got a day coming, don't he? Remember the old cartoons back in the 50s and 60s, old Looney Tunes? They always showed the devil with his little grin and his, his red ears and all that, and, and he's standing over that lake of fire and as though he's not going to be in there burning with them. Matthew 25 tells me that that place was designed and created for that individual and all those who follow him and, and who are messengers of him. That old boy's going to burn, ain't he? And in that we rejoice. He's got a day coming. 
my Lord will fix all of this. Even though this is, number two, a second clarification, even though this is something that God produces in us, this is not our joy that we just concoct for ourselves because if it's ours, then the glory is ours, and the glory is not to be ours. Even though this is something that God produces, Galatians 5.22, in us through His Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we shun the things of evil, as we put forward the things that are right, as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit of God, that's, that's continuing to be grown and produced and, and nurtured and watered and, and it will begin to germinate in all the aspects of our life. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know you've got folks like this in your life and I trust, I trust they're here at Buford. It's like no matter what happens, they're the spiritual optimist in the house. It's like you can't, that person can't have a bad day because they're so in love with God and they see how temporal this world is and they recognize that it's just for a breath that it really don't matter. That one day all of this is going to be burned up and that's not morbid, that's a blessing. Because this, as beautiful as this earth is, it's fallen. Our trees die every year. That was not the original plan in the garden. All of creation has been impacted by sin. Thank God he's going to fix it all one day. We're in 2 Corinthians, I believe, and go to verse chapter 1. This was Paul's apostolic mission and mandate, if you will, to the Corinthian church. This is the, the, at least the third epistle. We, we, have, we know that there was at least three, and we only have two. God didn't see fit to give us all three. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at this. In verse 23, he says, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we, notice this, lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Notice that. Work, toil for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. You notice how he goes back and forth? In between the sandwich of faith is this thing called joy. Let's just look at it this way. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we were workers work with you for your faith, for you stand firm in your faith. He uses it synonymously there, together, as though it's one and the same. Of course, joy is not the faith system of the gospel, but this is a personal faith. And you cannot have personal faith aside from the joy of God. You can't. You can't just make a decision for Jesus and not desire Jesus and think that that's going to be... Read 1 Corinthians 13. How's that turn out? We hear it at all the weddings. But that was never designed for a wedding. That's talking about the love that's inside the bride of Christ and in the worship of the church. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. Joy is essential. And it's a delight. Fight the good fight of Paul, joyous faith. Saving, joyous faith. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he had to remind them about giving, and he said, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, that word hilarion there means, it's where we get our word hilarious. Imagine if every time we cracked open our wallets in this building, everybody just started cheering instead of watching the flies come out, you know? This is our time to give back to God with cheer. And it's as though it's hilarious, as though we could give back to God. 
Paul said that he had fought the good fight, you know joy was on his heart and on his tongue. That man sang Jesus all the way to what Rome, as history records, to the chopping blocks. Of course, we don't know. The, the Bible don't tell us how he died, but that's how history said that he died. There is no coasting when it comes to spiritual joy. It is a dog fight to the finish. Because Satan will be in our throats. Satan would rob you of what you have. He can't touch what's there. But rest assured, ask old Job. Watch him try his level best to rip and prick and tear and make you bleed until you say, I give up. I quit. The greatest soul winner of all time, numerically speaking, is the devil. He's got more. There's been more people drift. If you don't fight for this faith and for this joy that is inside this faith, it is, if you don't, then you will coast hellward. That's the truth. Because you just can't make decisions for God and not have your heart involved. And thankfully, it's not your joy. For those who are in this room and they are overwhelmed and consumed in grief, you can't just turn it on and off like this. I can make my finger move, but I can't make physical joy come in and out like that. Some of you are, are hurting and in pain. And we don't like that. That's very real. And as best as we can, we empathize as best as we can. Sometimes we just need to sit and be quiet with you and allow you to grieve and say what you need to say and hurt the way you need to hurt. Grieve it healthy. Grieve it scripturally. Grieve it right, yes. But you know, when we hurt, when we really, really hurt, I've sat with people who have said things that I thought they would never say that in their right mind. When I go to the Psalms, and as I told you earlier, when you're hurting and you go to the Psalms, you're going to find David and others use language because they're in the pain that they're in. And talk to the Lord in ways that they probably wouldn't on a regular basis. How real is your prayer life when you're hurting? When you're suffering, how real is it? Do you say what you need to say? Do you say what... And I get reverency. Listen, I get reverency. I get it. I'm, all, I'm about it. We have to be. Every time we open this book and go to prayer, it's one of the burning bush moments. Take your shoes off. You're in the presence of God. I get it. But you are His child. And He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear you say things that you need to say. God's shoulders. I talked about Demar earlier. The good comrade of Demar was Calvin Renault. Faithful elder in the church and a trailblazer for the gospel. And he died two years ago. And I remember him always saying, God's got big shoulders. Take it to the Lord. I want, I want the joy that God produces because there's times in my life and in yours where we can't produce joy. We can't just make it happen. I've got to have help from God. 
I've got to have him sustain me because sometimes in life we can't stand up ourselves. And we're doing good by just breathing. There's a song that we often sing. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. My portion. If you're in Jesus, you always have that portion. You are always sustained by that portion. You have all that you need in that portion. I don't need Jesus plus the blessings that, and the prosperity and, and the add-ons that come with that, or I think should come with that. When we say the Lord is our portion, and we love that portion, do we love it? Do we love it more than anything else? Are we okay with that portion and that portion alone? Because if you've not been in that place where all you've got is the Lord, you probably will be. And you're going to need the, you're going to need the joy that God gives from His good books, how the Holy Spirit works it in our lives. You're going to need it. And when, you, and when you get out of the grief that you're in and you realize that this spiritual joy that he gives will outlast every other problem and ailment and, and death and loss and grief that you'll ever encounter, that you know that that portion will always be there and that portion will never go anywhere. It makes us long. It makes us long for heaven. I want to be with him. I want to see his face. I want to see him. And my, mortal, my mortal eyes, they can't see him. They can't. I look forward to the day when the trump of God shall sound. Time shall be no more. And there he is with all the faithful with him. And as the dead in Christ rise first and then I'm right there behind them and you're right there behind them, imagine seeing all those angels in flaming fire going past us. And they're going to take care of the devil. And there won't be no more suffering. And there won't be no more pain. What I love about it is John records it. It says, and then he will wipe away every tear. And I don't know what that's going to look like and I don't pretend to know. I know that I will be in a perfected body state like Jesus was. Perfected mind. Pure. But you and I ain't going to hurt no more. That ship's going to sail. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that sustains. That's the joy that comes from this book and this life. And in that we rest. We may not can rest physically, but I can rest knowing good and well that I will hear him say, well done. I want to hear it, don't you? If you want to hear it, make things right. Maybe you're in a place tonight where you want to want to hear it. Maybe you're in a place where you don't want to hear it. 
Maybe you're in grief. Maybe you're in pain and you don't want to hear anything about God because you're mad. Pray that God breaks that down. Pray that the good gospel that he gives will soften your heart and let you grieve. Because he's gentle and he's humble. What I love about the prodigal son was that the daddy stood on the porch and looked. You notice he didn't chase after the boy. He just stood there and looked. And then when he saw him coming, he went and got him. And when that boy is in the midst of his repenting, the father says, get the calf, get the robe, get the ring. My son, home. Brethren, let's go to heaven. Amen? As together we stand and as we sing.